The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I mean, I'm a playoff. Don't we reset? I'm. Wait a minute. No, I thought we... But- yeah, I look thought at we you. reset. You, you sandbagging son of a bitch over here. No, we got more football to play. We're, we're in the playoffs here, baby. PFTPM, Chris Sims Unbuttoned, Joint Mega Picks Podcast. Playoff edition, wild card edition, super wild card weekend edition. Only six games, so we can screw around. All we want. We're you know, recent weeks. We've been going through sixteen oh, games in an I hour. We can let it breathe. We got a some time. We got some time to let it breathe, and I got some time to do a victory lap because the regular season is over, and somebody got smoked like a joint from your stash. <laughs> Look at this. Look at the yellow. The yellow is good. The white is bad. Yellow, 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 yellow. Thank you. Yellow. Thank you. We yeah, suck I, at best bets. I gotta, I gotta rub it in. I, I didn't rub it in hard enough last year when I won all these columns. I, I I'm gonna That's, next year. I don't even remember it. I, of course you don't. Of course, and I wasn't as jerky as you are. I didn't rub it in quite the same extent to you do. I'm going to rub You're it. You're the in guy the that played in the NFL. Yeah. You're the guy that played That's in the NFL. Right. You're yeah. supposed to know exactly, what's going on. Exactly. I know. You're supposed to understand right. how the game works. You're I supposed know. to be able to pick these games. Not me. I'm I, just some schlub that got a laptop and a dial-up connection in his mother's basement. I don't know what I'm talking it's about. A, I mean, it's bad really year. bad that you're losing that bad to me. I know. You I'm don't an idiot. tell me. I, I agreed. You are an idiot. I, I, it's bothering the hell out of me. It really is. It is. I, and it ain't over yet, though. I don't care. Great with all your yellows. You know, versus spread and best bets is still very much alive. We got six games this weekend, four games next weekend. Two after that, we got 13 games you, left. I can do this easily. But you say that every week, and the gap keeps getting bigger. Uh, it See, did that's not. It got a little smaller. But, yes, you went up a game or two this week. Okay. Whoopty freaking do. All right. We'll see. When, when, one, when one runner is faster than the other, the longer the race means the greater the margin when the race finally ends. I don't that's know. That's usually works. Well, one's an idiot, and the other one's not. Usually the idiot will start to do more idiot things. So I'm, I'm planning on you doing that in the playoffs. I'm planning on that. I think you got a few idiot picks in you today, and I can't wait for it. <laughs> super wild card week and super duper wild card week. Is that what they're calling it? Is it? Is that what they're calling it? They're trying to get people to call it super wild card weekend. Right. Okay. No, no, because there's six games. Yeah. Whoa. Super. Now. Super wild card yeah. weekend. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and eventually there will be, I believe, eight games. In Super Wild Card Weekend, it's just a matter of time before they recognize having six standalone windows isn't nearly as lucrative as having eight. But six, and this is the first year ever that we've got the Monday night playoff game. And I think once they get a taste of the ratings on Monday night, what we're going to see in the divisional round is a Monday night game. And we're eventually, I believe, going to see conference championships, not back-to-back on Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night because it's going to be a gigantic 
difference to take over prime time on back-to-back nights. And I think it's over-under is three years before both the divisional round weekend and conference championship weekend move a game to Monday night. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. You know, hey, listen, there's a part of me this year that would like to see one of the team that whoever wins on Monday night this week, uh, I would, I wish they could some way formulate it again to see that team at their best to where they get seven days, and then it's a Monday night game in the divisional round, and then to like what you said, again, we usually have two weeks between the championship game and the Super Bowl to where. Okay, who cares if you got 12, you know, 13 days, one team had 13 days off, one team had 14 days off. Continue that trend of the Monday night team gets, you know, the full week, the full 7 days as far as preparing for these games. I know we have Saturday, Sunday to Saturday games and it's not always that way, but I am big into I want to see these teams at full strength, fully rested, full week of being able to formulate a creative game plan. I guess that's what worries me a little bit. And eight games is too many for me on a wild card weekend. I don't want that. I think that could be overkill. Well, yeah, I, I think I that once yeah, I think... we got a taste of it, we would be happy with it. And yeah. I was happy with six last year. I thought it was great. And uh, we do it again. So six games is six chances for Chris to narrow the margin. I have clinched the straight up. You yeah, can't that's beat over. me on straight right. up. I know that. That's... Even if we disagree on all 13 postseason games and you're right and I'm wrong, you can't catch me. No. So I can't... You are finally conceding that one. I've been conceding that one. That, that was too much to overcome. I'm, I'm not going to get there. The other two, though... I, I I I believe, and uh, I you know from some of your assessments and and what we've talked about on Pro Football Talk this week on the show, I think we're going to have differences. I don't know, I don't know, but I think we're going to at least have a few here to where it can maybe make it interesting for Division Weekend. We'll see where this goes. Let's start with the Saturday late afternoon game on NBC. The Las Vegas Raiders taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. This is a compelling game in my mind. The Raiders, a great story, the way that they got into the playoffs, a, a, a stirring performance this year after John Gruden's abrupt resignation, after the Henry Ruggs situation, the horrible DUI that resulted in alleged DUI. I mean, it's all still pending in the court system, but the car accident that claimed the life of a 23-year-old woman and her dog, I mean, it's just horrible, and it created distractions and adversity, and the Raiders survived it all to get to the postseason. They are the five seed after winning on Sunday night. The Bengals are the four seed. The Bengals are five-point favorites. The line has crept in the Raiders' direction. It was six and a half. Now it's down to five, over under of 48.5. And I've got my picks locked in. I can take a screenshot and send them to Pete if you think I'm going to play any games here. I'll go first anytime you want me to. I'll go last anytime you want me to. You decide. You want to go first with this one or you want me to? Well, I'll, I'll go first. I trust you. I do. And you're usually very ethical in the fact that while I'm describing the matchup or whatever, you usually type it in there before I say my score. So I, I do trust you. We can continue that. I will I will rotate with you as far as who leads it off, just for the banter, for that aspect of it. Um, I'll lead this one off, though. No problem. Uh, we'll go there. I, th- hey, this game, you know, this is, this, is, this is to me the reason you kicked the field goal if you're the Raiders at the end of regulation last week. It is. Because you, you, you now have put yourself, to me, in a position to maybe advance another round if you're the Las Vegas Raiders as compared to – you know, if you went for the tie last week, you'd be going to Kansas City and a team that you know outscored you ninety something to twelve or something like that this year. It was a crazy differential. The Bengals game, I know they lost. It's going to say thirty-two thirteen from the first matchup. The score is misleading. 
That game was, you know, they 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 were toe to toe for a big part of it. As you heard me say the other day, it was sixteen thirteen with over a little five minutes left in the football game, and then the Raiders had a late turnover and messed it up from there. So that's where it fell apart. But I certainly think the Raiders are capable of winning this football game. The one thing I look at too here with the Bengals offense, Mike, you know, they're the big play Bengals. That they couldn't figure out how to get a big play against the the Raiders defense the first time around. That was a real issue, and I don't expect that to change. You know, Gus Bradley, the inventor of the Seattle scheme, he's still the master of it and the little nuances within it. And, you know, they do a phenomenal job of really not letting up many big plays in a football game. You know, even last week, there was no big plays until, okay, gosh, it's fourth and whatever, and we're going to lose and the season's over, and then – uh, Justin Herbert forced the issue into some tight windows on must-have-it situations. But you could see that, and that's where I worry about the Bengals. Here's the, my biggest concern for them, and to me the number one thing that can ruin the game for them, at least on the offensive side of the ball. The Bengals are not great at pass protecting. If they don't have answers to block Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby, they're going to they're gonna flirt with being upset at home in, in, their, in their playoff game. You know, the first time around, and Gakwe and Max Crosby got there early in the game. Joe Burrow fumbled. The Raiders picked it up or turned it into inside the 10-yard line. That led to their, their first points of the game. You know, so to me, that's something they have to be wary about. I think this is a game that the Bengals' offense is going to have to be a little patient on that side of the ball and realize it's not going to be about stats. It's going to be about a little being more surgical. We've got to run the ball, be efficient and play that style of football to where it might not be as sexy as we've come to know with the Bengals on, you know, their offense. So, all right, well, I wasn't sure. I didn't even get into the Raiders de- uh, the Raiders offense versus the Bengals. We got defense. plenty of time okay. to go back and yeah. forth. Okay, that's what I was going to do. I was going to just kind of break down that side first of going a little bit here just to give you my two cents on the Bengals offense versus the Raiders defense and Let me let me, let me let me ask you yeah. let me ask you some questions cool. And, cool. and share my perspective here cuz I agree with you they have to keep the the Raiders pass rush away from Joe right, Burrow. Right. That game was played so long ago, though. Both teams have changed since then. Yeah. They've gotten better since then. They both have gotten better since then, I think. The issue with the Bengals has been consistency. And what we've seen from the Bengals, and Joe Burrow told me after they beat the Ravens, I think it was week seven in Baltimore, when, you know, we. We've had several different occasions this year where we've said to ourselves, hey, the Bengals are pretty damn good, and they proceed to lose the following week. Sometimes two in a row the fall, you know, the, the following two games. But week seven against the Ravens, whenever it was that they went to Baltimore, that was when he first started to notice the heavy double teams of Jamar Chase, which opened up the rest of the offense, whether it was Joe Mixon running the ball right, right. or T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, C.J. Uzama contributes a, a splash play from time to time. And we saw what happened when the Chiefs didn't commit to taking away Jamar Chase, the historic day that he had, which really nailed down the offensive Rookie of the Year award for him. What do you think the Raiders will do about Chase? And if they overcorrect to take away Chase, will they leave too many openings in the rest of the offense for Joe Burrow? Yeah, I, I don't think so. They're, they're not one of those teams, Mike. You know they're one of the, the Raiders are one of those defenses where it's like again it's 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 Seattle three it's Seattle three it's Seattle three it's cover one man to man as the curveball they don't they don't do some of the stuff that we talk about it's very very rare that they double somebody 
or go outside the realm of what their scheme is. You know, they're again, their corners are a little they're a little bit like, hey, let's be wary of where this guy is. Hey, we play our cover three, but they change some of the rules and the nuances as you know, as compared from one week to the next, as going, you know, oh, this team does a little bit of this more or does a little bit of that. So they tweak the rules and how they play it to a degree. And uh, that's where I see it. It's, it's, it's going to not be any different. Now, where I look at it to where I go, like, you're right. The Bengals' offense is more explosive and better now than it was at that point when they played the Raiders. There's no doubt. They've opened it up more. They have more avenues of, of ways they can beat you on that side of the ball. The, the Raiders, uh, the, the Bengals have not shown me great understanding of how to move the ball against a scheme. Even when you get into the Jets game. There's a little. There was issues there at times moving the football. That's the same defensive scheme. Robert Sala was up there in Seattle, you know, with Gus Bradley. So that's where I don't know if there's understanding of the scheme and how to, you know, crack the code or break the matrix, is what I'm saying. But the one thing I do think they have, because it's that three deep all the time, it's gonna be like one on one on the outside. And the Bengals towards the home stretch of the year, they got a little bit into. Wait, you're going to play man? Then we're just going to play our guys better than you. He's going to get open. Joe will throw a strike, and we'll take the 15-yard comeback or the 20-yard out route. They'll do that, and that to me is something they can do, I think, to exhaust uh, the, the Raiders' defense a little bit more and, and get the ball into Chase's hands more than they did the first time around. Exhaust is a key word, too, because the narrative as to Sunday was the Raiders are much better off winning the game and facing the Bengals, then losing and going to Kansas City. But the problem is they had the 70-minute game on Sunday night, and That's they turn right. around and play in Cincinnati on Saturday afternoon. Now, when we saw that back in week one, week two, they had the overtime game at home against the Ravens. They went to Pittsburgh the following week. I said, there's no way. They got no chance against the Steelers in Pittsburgh, home opener for the Steelers. They had just beaten the Bills. They're traveling across the country. They played late in the the night on Monday, and of course the Raiders won the game 26-17 straight up. So I, I don't know how much stock I put in that, but it's it's not easy. It can't be easy no. when you have a tough, grinded-out win with your playoff life on the line. You win it literally at the 70-minute mark, and you got to pick it all up and turn it around and come up with a game plan and figure out what you're going to do and get your guys healed and get your team ready and have it rested and take on a Bengals team that, that was able – yeah. to rest some of its guys. They they folded the tents for the most part against the Cleveland Browns in Week 18. I think that's a huge factor that, that can't be overlooked here because I, I was saying going into that game on Sunday, you can make the argument for either one. You could argue that they're better off facing the Bengals. You could argue they're better off with the extra day yeah. and playing a Chiefs team that they know very well that they beat at Arrowhead Stadium in 2020. I know a lot's changed since then, but... It's not like it's an automatic W for the Chiefs if the Raiders had come to town. It's not an automatic W for the Bengals. All right, flip it over to when the Raiders have the ball. We've seen different guys step up from time to time this year. Derek Carr has played well more often than not. Josh Jacobs has done a good job in the running game. Darren Waller needs to get healthier and be more of a contributor than he was earlier in the season. But what do you think about the Bengals' defense against the Raiders' offense? Yeah, it's it's an, it's another interesting one. You know, first off, like watching that game back, the Raiders' receivers had a hard time separating from the Bengals' secondary. They did. You know, again without Henry Ruggs, you know, and I know they got Deshaun Jackson, but he's he's not as fast as Henry Ruggs was or is. 
You know, they've 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 lost a little bit of like that guy that put pressure on on a defense to go wait. They could call a post route or a go route with this guy at any moment and strike for seventy. So you know, and the, the, Zay Jones, good receiver. Renfro, good receiver. Now these they got some guys in the secondary in Cincinnati. They could they could cover them. They covered them when they played man to man. They were all over some of the scheme stuff that the Raiders want to do. You mentioned that the Raiders are better at running the ball now than then. That certainly should be another aspect. But the one thing that jumped out about the first matchup, and you just brought up his name, the Bengals had no answer for Darren Waller. They had none. And we saw George Kittle go off against the Bengals. And to me, this is the guy that they're going to be able to use as their biggest pawn or chip in this football game. They got into a little bit of a, a, a mojo in the third quarter of the last football game where they had uh, had Waller set off to one side as a receiver by himself, and then the other three guys on the other side of the ball. And it really put the Bengals in some issues because they were like, wait, okay, you know, we can play a soft zone and whatever, but now we might leave these three receivers to find little holes in that soft zone. Wait, play man-to-man, and we don't have a guy that can really match up with Darren Waller and play him that way. To me, that's going to be the guy that I think the, the Raiders are going to formulate this game plan around and really go, we're going to feed him until you do something extraordinary to take him away to help out some of our other guys who might not be as explosive or dangerous. He had 116 yards. That was a season high for Darren Waller when they met in week 11. He played week 12, didn't play week 13 through 17, was back for week 18, two catches for 22 yards on nine targets. So working to get back into a rhythm and a chemistry with Derek Carr, and I don't know how much the Raiders can really count on him. Now, if this is the week that the switch flips, it, it could be a problem. For the Bengals, right, if right. if Darren Waller is healthy and able to make a difference, but you know the vibe changes when the season's on the line. It does, and man. and the Raiders just played a game where the season was on the line. Even though the tie would have still gotten them in, they had to get in position to tie. They had to hold off the furious charge by the by the Chargers uh, up fifteen. The Raiders were they blew that. They had to hold on. Uh, you know, th- there's there's some of that mindset that no I think doubt. is important that no creeps doubt. into into a team, and the Bengals haven't been there yet. Right. You know they they they're, they're they're now Joe Burrow told me a few weeks ago that they viewed some of these late regular season games like playoff games because they don't have playoff experience. But see, they're getting their playoff introduction against a team that, for the most part, has guys who don't have playoff experience either. Yeah, it's new for them. Right. Derek Carr didn't play in the game five years ago because he had broken his ankle in week 17 and wasn't available for the postseason game the following weekend. So there's a, there's a lot of, of inexperience for both teams in this one. And, you know, I look, I, I, you, let, let me, you go ahead, go, go ahead, make yeah. your pick. Well, listen, I, at the end of the day, I, I put I, mine in here. Yeah, Mine's in here. I, I, yep. I see it. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I think the Bengals are the better football team. They're at home. You said it. Yeah, the Raiders don't have much of a playoff advantage other than like what you said. Last week, they kind of played that game, and the Bengals got to sit back and sip on pina coladas while they played the Browns. You know, I, But I don't think that's enough of a, like, oh, wow, the Raiders will be ready for playoff football that much more greatly than the Bengals. I think it's going to be a close football game. I'll say that. I do. I'm going to take the Bengals, but I'm going to have the Raiders covering the spread. I'm going to go 21-17 Bengals in this one. 
Yeah, I got 31-17. I think this one is eventually going to go the Bengals' way and get away from the Raiders. I think that there'll be a point in the second half where they just kind of let the air out of the tires and, uh, you know, a, a Jamar Chase big catch here, a Joe Mixon touchdown run there, and that 14-point margin is going to happen. So we agree on the outcome. Yeah. We disagree on the spread. You've got the Raiders. I've got the Bengals. Okay, Saturday night. Two degrees in Orchard Park, New York for round three. 40 days apart for three games between the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. The Patriots, the sixth seed. The Bills, the three seed. The Bills, obviously, the AFC's champions. Go ahead and start us off. Let's look at first. Bills have the ball. What do the Patriots do? Yeah, the Bill. I mean, the, the Patriots definitely have to adjust their approach a little bit as far as what happened the first time around. Uh, I, you, you heard me say a little today. You know, there was... Too many plays of where they let Josh Allen out of the pocket and he made magic happen. That's got to be at the forefront of what the Patriots want to do here. And the fact that, wait, you know, when we kept him in the pocket and did that, the results were, let's say, 50-50. When he got outside the pocket, the results were 90-10 in Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills' favor. That's the first thing I look at to where they got to change it a little bit. You know, and then the second thing within that, they had problems, the, the Patriots, the first time around, stopping crossing routes from the B- Buffalo Bills. They, they, they had issues with that in man-to-man. And a lot of times where like the Patriots have guys usually to help out, hey, it's a man-to-man from a corner, right? And the guy runs that shallow cross or that crossing route. He knows where he's going. The corners not only got to follow him, but usually fight through traffic to keep up with him. Do, you know, avoid linebackers, avoid this guy, avoid that guy, try to get there to do that. And usually there's really no corners on earth that can, like, that, that, that can overcome that. Usually the Patriots have some guy there to help out in those situations. I think because of Josh Allen's running ability and they dabbled in some other defenses the first time around where they didn't have that. So they got to find a way, in my opinion, to change the plan a little bit. And my biggest thing would be need to play a little bit more man-to-man. And what really worked for them is when they played man-to-man, Mike, and did the things that we've talked about a lot with successful defenses. Man-to-man, looks like they're going to blitz, ends up only really being a four-man rush, two guys drop out, they're looking for crossers or anything like that coming their way. That helps out the corner who's chasing and all that. When they did stuff like that, they won the plays. They did that. And to me, that's what I think they got to change a little bit more here. It's not a scary receiving group with Buffalo. There's only one guy to be scared about. That's Diggs. They should be able to trust J.C. Jackson on him to a degree. And then the other guys match up, play some of the system things that I talk about. You know, But the Patriots played a few too many zones, in my opinion, the first time around. Zones with a three-man rush where – you know, he was patient enough to dance back there, Josh Allen, and go, okay, it's three men. I'm going to wait. And they're playing zone, and I'll look a little over here and get everybody over there, and then zoom. I'll hit it to where they moved away from and get that. And he just he's too good to play that kind of defense. So that's where uh, I'll be interested to see, the, to see where this goes. Significant stat as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Josh Allen, in four – of the last five games, starting with the game after the Monday night loss to the Patriots at home. In four of the last five games, he has had more rushing yards than in any of the games before. 
these last five games. Yeah. 109 against Tampa Bay, 64 in the rematch with the Patriots, 81 against Atlanta, 63 against the Jets. Before that, his high all season long was 59. Yeah. In any one game. So they started letting him run earlier to try to supplement the passing game and also to make up for some of the deficiencies in the passing game. We saw three interceptions against the Falcons in the game where he had those 81 rushing yards and two touchdowns. I think they better be ready to deal with Josh Allen as a runner. And when he runs it, yeah, they, they, they better be ready to treat him like a running back. No doubt. And, and again, you know, th- this is a slippery slope. People get triggered and up in arms when you talk about hitting a quarterback like a running back. But if he's going to take advantage of being a running back, the Patriots are going to be playing tough defense. Yeah, I agree. And uh, agree. Bill Belichick's going to be ready for it. Whether or not they can actually stop it remains to be seen. All right, the Patriots offense, we saw not much from Mac Jones the night it was windy in Buffalo. We saw more from Mac Jones, and it wasn't very good when the Bills came to town. We talked about this earlier on PFT Live, but do we trust a Mac Jones offense as a rookie in his playoff debut against the Buffalo Bills? I, I do, but it, it, as long as it's not you know too much is expected of him. You know, you know, again, if it gets to the kind of game where you go, wait, the Bills are moving the ball, Josh Allen's making plays, and the Patriots got to score points to keep up, I don't like that for the, the Patriots. If it comes to a point where we go, where, wow, Mac Jones is, he's going to have to, you know, complete somewhere around 30 passes today and they need to throw for 350 yards, I, I don't feel comfortable with saying the Patriots are going to win with that type of formula. You know, it, it's, it, it's going to still have to be through the run game. To me, that's still their greatest advantage as a football team. And we know that's where you can take advantage of the Bills a little bit. You know, the Bills were better in that second matchup. You know, they certainly were keyed into some of the things that burned them the first time around. But you know the Patriots are going to have a few things off of that now to make the Bills have to second-guess some of that approach. You know that. You know, but but I, that, to me, is, is really the, still the key to the game. Can the Bills slow down the Patriots' run game? And, like, slow it down to where, yeah, Damian Harris can run for 100. They just can't go off for 250 as a total team. That that can't happen. That means they're controlling the clock, Josh Allen's on the sidelines, and things aren't going in their direction. You know, if they can just manage the run game a little bit, I think you see results like you saw the second game where, yeah, you know, the Bills' pass rush won the war in the, in the first matchup. matchup. The Bills secondary can cover these Patriot receivers who are not that explosive man-to-man and give them issues, let alone with some cool ideas from McDermott. So uh, to answer your question, I would say no. They can't expect him to carry the squad and just go off in this game. Yeah, and they are going to have to run the ball and control the clock and keep Josh Allen on the sidelines to take some steam out of the offense that way. I'm going to go ahead and make my pick. Okay. I'm making my pick. Okay, cool. I'm doing it. Um, this is pasta and meatballs light because I don't think this is a major stretch to right. come to the conclusion right. that Bill Belichick finds a way, whatever it takes, comes up with a game plan, coaches his guys up to execute it, that the Patriots, given their vast experience as a coaching staff dealing with single elimination settings and also just that, that, that tightness, you know, when you're the favorite, when you're the home team. When you're the one that's supposed to advance and it's your nemesis that you, you know, it's like trying to beat your big brother in ping pong. Even though they won at Foxborough earlier this year, this is playoff football. This is facing your big brother in ping pong with a trophy on the line or the pursuit of a trophy on the line. I I think the the Patriots win this one. And, uh, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit 
of Giants Bills from Super Bowl 25 where you neutralize the keg on offense by yeah. keeping it on the sideline. I hear you. Um, and may- maybe you dare them to run the ball even though they have been running it better. 20 to 19. Why not? Oh, Bills I like it. Lose to the Patriots by one point. Maybe maybe wide right on a field goal yeah. to end the game. Yeah. Maybe that's how it goes down. Maybe a safety on Josh Allen from Bruce Smith or something like that. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I hey, listen, this is scary too. I, I'm I'm with you. This game could go either way. There's no doubt. I will say this. The Patriots in the second game were too predictable. They lost on first and second down too much. They were one for ten on third downs. And because of the predictability, that was the issue. Mike, like too many like, hey, we're in a running formation on first down and we're going to run the ball. And then, of course, they ran the ball and got no yards. There was too much of that. They got to zig when they zag a little bit. I'm going with the Bills here. I think the Bills are a little bit more of the desperate, chippy team right now. They expected to be on the king of the hill here for a little longer. They're not ready to relinquish it yet. I'm not trusting a rookie on the road in the playoff game. Bills 28-20 taking the victory. All right, and the cover. Uh, and, you know, I just remembered I picked the Bills to win the Super Bowl to start the season, and usually my approach is as long as my Super Bowl winner is still alive, I don't pick against them. Oh, well, that was four months ago, and I'd forgotten about it. Let's take a break. Sunday afternoons, playoff games. Eagles, Bucks, 49ers, Cowboys. When PFTPM and Chris Sims Unbutton continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. BFTPM, Chris Sims unbuttoned, Sunday afternoon playoff games. Three games on Sunday. Three on Sunday. We're going to start with the two that will be played, 1 o'clock and 4.15, 4.30-ish. The early game, Philadelphia Eagles at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucks are eight-and-a-half-point favorites over the seven seeds in the NFC, over under of 46. Forecast calls for rain and wow. 20 to 30-mile-per-hour winds. That wow. caused the over-under to drop from 49 to 46, but it also caused the line to bump in Tampa Bay's favor from minus 7.5 to minus 8.5. Yeah, which, which is surprising, really right? That makes no me. sense, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I don't get that No, it should have gone the other way. Yeah, right. I, that's where I, I don't understand the logic of, of that one at all, you know, where the team that it relies on the passing game more, the bad elements increase their chance to win the game. I don't, I don't, I don't see that. No, I, I think that it actually would help the Eagles, and it plays into the hands of the Eagles from the standpoint of their approach, which it should be. And we talked about this on PFT Live. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Take the full 40 seconds. Keep Tom Brady on the sidelines. Make him anxious and frustrated when he's on the field. Let's revisit the Eagles' offense, which is very different than what the Buccaneers saw in Week 6 on a Thursday night. They've embraced what they do well. They run the ball well. The Buccaneers, due largely to injury, haven't been as good. You know, I think one of the keys for Tampa Bay, if they want to repeat, the defense has to step up like it did last year. And this is going to be a great early test. It almost kind of reminds me of that Washington it game does, last year. Right? 
you know, you, you, they, 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 it's going to take a fight for the Buccaneers to establish their footing and lay the foundation for what comes next. I, I, I hear you there, though. There is. You know, you got a quarterback who's kind of a scrappy playmaker and Jalen Hurts there. There's no doubt. I think you said it right. I mean, that's that's the, where we got to start. The Eagles offense is nowhere near the same as it was early on in the season in week six. In fact, it was about two, three weeks after that. I, I believe it was the Lions game where they started, I think, finally realized, like, wait, our quarterback's not Drew Brees or Phillip Rivers. or I mean, He's not going to be that, right? So, wait, let's get back to what's the best thing about our team. Oh, wait, our O-line is one of the five best in football. Oh, wait, our quarterback is really athletic and probably one of the most five most athletic quarterbacks in football. Let's do that and then play off of that. And that, to me, is where they took off as a football team. I mean, I know you, you think the same thing. They're dominant that way. So, yeah, when you watch the first matchup, there's not a lot that holds water as far as looking at it and going, oh, the Bucks had issues with this, the Bucks had issues with that. You know, the one thing we've seen is we haven't really seen many teams run the ball on the Bucks team when they're at full strength. That's been very rare. And, uh, and it's not, it sounds like they're going to be at full strength to this football game, maybe other than Levante David. So that is going to be the marquee matchup. Those big dudes on the Eagles offensive line versus those big dudes on that Tampa Bay D-line, let alone a guy like Devin White who can fly around in the back end and make things happen. But the, the, the Eagles running offense is the key to the game. I mean, I know that sounds obvious, but for, for what we talk about with PFT, right, Mike? I mean, the Eagles offense to me is the best defense versus Tom Brady in that offense too. Stay on the field. Chew up the clock. You know, keep the Buccaneers offense out of rhythm and we're not in there and we can't get it going that way. To me, that is going to be one, the key to the game for the Eagles. Can they chew up some clock, get first downs, kind of play that style of football and uh, move the ball in this Bucks defense through the run? If they can, it'll get scary because they can win some one-on-one -on -one matchups with those receivers on the outside. Sorry to talk so long, but you know. You and I worry about... Yeah the Buccaneers offense because it really has a different vibe than it had a year ago where you could take Mike Evans out and put Antonio Brown in. You could take Chris Godwin out and put Scotty Miller in. You could put Rob Gronkowski out and put Cameron Braid in, and it never missed a beat. You could alternate Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, and you could trust both guys to do what needed to be done. This year, there's less of that vibe that whoever's out there on the field is going to make it happen. And I do feel like, and somebody explained to me, this is what happens as the offense gravitates to more Tom Brady-centric. That last year it was less Brady-based, so there was more of a distribution. Yeah. As it, as it gravitates more toward Brady being in charge, he develops his favorites. He develops his guys. He develops guys he trusts a little more than others. And through time, it's more passes to Mike Evans, more passes to Rob Gronkowski. And, and I just I, I worry about that because it makes the offense a little more predictable and gives the Eagles better cues on who they need to focus on trying to take away. And, and they need to be more flexible, I think. Bottom line, Tom Brady needs to be more flexible, spreading the ball around to who's open and not trying to get it to one of the guys he feels more comfortable with. I, I agreed, agreed. Hey, listen, it, to me, in some of the losses this year, that, that's when Brady does. Yes, he gets a try. It's, it's stare at Rob Gronkowski. You know, as he's pat the ball, you're like, dude, it's, you've pat the ball seven times now. Move to somebody else. They got him. He can definitely fall into that trap a little bit. Let alone, we know, you get a little pressure on him and things like that. He gets jumpy. That's by far his biggest weakness right now at the age of 44. But I don't know if the Eagles can do that. 
I don't know if the Eagles can do any of this stuff to make him feel uncomfortable. I still think there's a systematic issue here with the Eagles defense. Like, I know the Eagles defense is number 10 in football, okay? But they have feasted on the week here at the end of the season. Feasted on the week. The quarterbacks they have played, it's Shitsville, and then it's Shitville, and then it's Shitsville, and it's Shitville. It's all a bunch of crappy quarterbacks and crappy offenses. When they play a team that's got a quarterback with a little bit of a system, they get their asses torn up. Pete, I know, we'll cut off one of the other games. Relax. I know we got to go to the next game. That, that, that to me, is where it's going to be dicey. for the. I don't see how the Eagles stop Tampa on offense. The weather could be a gift, a blessing in disguise, no doubt about it. But I can't get behind it, and I'm picking the Bucks 31-20 to win this football game. So basically, you think the stack is decked against the Eagles in this you game. You know it. If I hear what you're you saying You know correctly. it. That's right. I've got the same idea. 27-17, Buccaneers win, Buccaneers cover. It just feels inevitable, which likely means the Philadelphia Eagles, which were the last team left when we did our Super Bowl confidence draft with all 14 teams in the pool. Uh, the Eagles, we expect to be out by Sunday late afternoon, middle afternoon, the big game, uh, middle afternoon, the 49ers at the Cowboys. Uh, just old school vibes, the catch. It was 40 years ago this week. They had all those great NFC Championship games in the 90s. The Cowboys are three-point favorites. The 49ers on the road, 51-point over under. Uh, let's start with... Let's start with 49ers offense against Cowboys defense, especially because we've got Kyle Shanahan, who previously coordinated the Falcons offense, for Dan Quinn, who was the head coach of the Falcons. Quinn's now the coordinator of the defense in Dallas. Uh, who, who has a, a larger dossier of information about the other guy? Is it Shanahan knowing what Quinn does, or is it Quinn knowing what Shanahan does? I, I think it's Shanahan. I do. You know, again, of course I favor Shanahan. I think Shanahan's brilliant. He's as smart as, as good an outside-the-box thinker when it comes to offensive football as there is in the sport. You know, and I think he's going to have a good field. Dan Quinn, who's, you know, his defense is more versatile than it was in Atlanta, but not incredibly versatile. It, it's still, it's not going to, like, take, like, a genius to figure out how they play you and what they do. You know, again, they're going to play a ton of man-to-man, -man, which I'm not sure how that works yet. I'm not sure. Listen, there can be aspects of that where you go, that could be good. Trevon Diggs, maybe right on Debo Samuel. You make Jimmy G have to throw the ball in the tight windows, you know, instead of, hey, we're playing zone and they did some play-action fake and our linebacker's up in the hole trying to stop the run and then there's just Debo Samuel running down the middle because there's a huge, awesome hole from the fake Shanahan created. You know, that to me is where I go a little bit back and forth, but also with the man-to-man -man and as much as they play it, I worry about Shanahan coming up with a lot of ways to, like, cross them up and screw them over that way, too. You know, hey, I got a guy man-to-man -man on George Kittle, but also I'm responsible for the D-gap in the run game. Oh, wait, Shanahan did a fake run at the D-gap. I'm responsible for it. Let me run up there and make the tackle. Oh, wait, Jimmy kept the ball. Oh, no. I have Kittle. He ran that way, but I was here to stop the run. That's where I worry about it. So I don't know where that goes. I favor Shanahan, obviously, there. To me, the biggest thing is, can the Dallas D-line screw the game up for the 49ers? Can they, can they do that? I, I do think they have that potential. I do. I mean, that's a special group up there with Demarcus Lawrence and Gregory, you know, and Michael Parsons and all the ways they move him. So that's where that's an intriguing matchup on that side to me, Mike. 
Yeah, and look, we see it time and again, the way that Kyle Shanahan orchestrates the run defense. I'm curious to see how much, or the run offense, I'm curious to see how much he's going to trust Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Is it going to be a Bob Greasy-type game right. where it's just run it, run it, run it, run it? And I agree with you. I think that Shanahan knows Quinn better than Quinn knows Shanahan. I think about the Shanahan-McVay pairings that we see. Yeah. From their time together in Washington, I think Kyle is always paying attention to anything and everything that any of the coaches in his vicinity are doing because he knows at some point he's going to be yeah. facing them. It's yes. inevitable. Right. And he's paying closer attention to them than they are to him, and he's going to find a way to make that offense go. And And there's also a certain value. We've talked about it in multiple games now. Churning your offense on the ground, keeping a higher-powered pass-based offense on the sideline and making it frustrated and have a greater sense of urgency when it's time for that offense to get on the field. I think that's an edge as well to that to that very ornate and complex system that Kyle Shanahan works to perfection as long as, yeah. and we've seen it, the two most important players, not the quarterback, yeah. Debo Samuel and George Kittle. Right. Get those guys involved. And and the Cowboys defense may not have any answers. That, that that's right. And, and you know you're right about the, the point about Shanahan. Shanahan's the kind of guy that he'll even remember things he told other coaches and use that against them. Like hey, I know he remembers I told him that, so he'll over defend that, and I'll be ready for that. He's very good at that. Let alone not letting everybody know his tricks. When they leave the building and go coach somewhere else, he's like, hey, you know some of them, but I kept the best ones in my pocket here. You don't know all of them. He's definitely aware of that. There's no doubt, Mike, and it's a great point by you. Hey, the other side of the ball, you know, the Cowboys offense, it's overrated. Their O-line's overrated. Uh, but, you know, as far as what we've talked about with the 49ers, you want to move the ball on them. We know their corners aren't good. Can the Cowboys throw the ball outside the numbers and attack them there in that capacity? You know, the 49ers are also a defense that will a little bit play like they'll go, we'll play cover two and we'll protect our corners and we'll call your bluff and we'll see if you could actually run against our six-man fronts. Yeah, you might have us outnumbered, but we got a great D-line and great linebackers and we're going to just kind of trust them and we're not going to let you burn our corners on the outside. And so Dallas is going to have to run the ball to a degree because I can't imagine San Francisco just coming in and going, hey, Hey, Dak, here's good looks for you to throw to Cooper and CeeDee Lamb outside against our below-average corners. I would think they're gonna, first going to play, let's protect those guys, and let's actually see if this, in my opinion, like you've heard me say, overrated Cowboys offensive line can actually push the 49ers front seven around. I feel like what they did on Saturday against the Eagles, where the Eagles basically weren't playing anyone, right? It was a it was a confidence builder game so. for the offense. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Because they, they 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 and I think they feared the Cardinals, uh, but they maybe should fear the 49ers a little bit more. I, I I'm gonna go 49ers in this one. I am. And uh, I'm taking the score 28-27 because that was the same final score as the catch game. So oh, what the hell? You. Super Bowl later. 25, the catch game. You're going back into history here. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. And uh, I I've, I have greater faith in the 49ers. We've been saying it all year. Yeah, you don't want them in the playoffs if you're one of the teams in the NFC. Right. And they had their chance. They had their chance. The Rams were up 17 nothing. It was over. It was done. The, the Saints were beating the Falcons. 
the 49ers are losing to the Rams, and it would have been the Saints instead of the 49ers in the playoff field. What a difference that would be for the other teams. The 49ers begin their reign of terror through the NFC playoff field with a win at Dallas, and they're going to make somebody else very nervous next week. And the way it plays out, if the Bucks win... It means it's Green San Bay. Francisco at Green Bay. I know, right, which is scary. And they're not going to want to see them come to town. I'm going San Francisco as well. I'm going 28-24. Uh, very similar to you. I'm just taking a field goal away from the Dallas Cowboys. I think the 49ers are the better team. I do. And, yeah, I just don't trust the Cowboys the way it looked a little bit on the offensive side of the ball down the stretch. Definitely don't. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We have the two – Sunday night, Monday night games, the Poston Meatballs game in Kansas City. Uh oh. And the first Monday night playoff game in NFL history, unless there was one that I've forgotten, but I don't think there was. We'll be back with more PFTPM and Chris Sims unbuttoned right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. PFTPM Chris Sims Unbuttoned, presented by Under Armour. We've reached the point in the Joint Megapix podcast where Chris tells you all about Under Armour as I wait patiently every day like a dog waiting for its master to come home. I am waiting for my hoodie and shoes from Under Armour, and I have faith that eventually they'll arrive. Yep, we'll see. If I give the green light, I've been telling them to screw Florio for a while, so they probably haven't sent the package, all right? <laughs> you need to quit worrying about the green leaf and start focusing on the green light. <laughs> okay, I will. All right, we are focused. We are supported by Under Armour, and just like us, Under Armour wants to give you an edge. They are focused on performing better and taking their game to the next level. Everything from running shoes that propel you forward to hoop shoes that give you insane grip. They even make hoodies that reflect energy. No, they don't reflect Florio, just other energies. We're not just about the end results, winning or glory. Under Armour is about the hard work, the dedication, the cycle of training, competing, and recovering. We give you advantages, but not shortcuts. The only way is through. We must right, protect this house. Almost- Click Click clack, click clack. We're almost through with the Super Wild Card Weekend, Super Duper Wild Card Weekend. Let's start with Sunday Night Football. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the seven seeds, 20-point underdogs, actually 12 and a half. Ben Roethlisberger says 20, <laughs> 12 and a half. He rounded up. Uh, the Chiefs, the home teams, the favorites, they blew out the Steelers in week 16, the day after Christmas, over under of 46. It's the biggest spread of the Super Wild Card Weekend. Chris, I know how you feel about this one. Yeah. I know, I know what you think. Yeah. Go ahead and give me the summary of why you think the Chiefs are going to win. I don't know whether or not you think the Chiefs are going to cover, but I know you think the Chiefs are going to win. Let me I hear do. why. Yeah, I'm picking the Chiefs. I think the, the biggest thing I just look at is I, I just don't know what can really change about the, the game the first time, from the first time. Now, I don't know if the Steelers got the horses this year to make some drastic change and totally change the outcome you know, compared to the first matchup. The Steelers' defense was too simple the first time around. You can't do that against the Chiefs and just think you're going to be simple. You know, first off, when they are simple and they play those two deep coverages, 
The Chiefs showed, hey, we'll run the ball. In fact, I don't think they did it enough, and I would say if they're going to do that, Chiefs run the ball. you got a good offensive line, and it's a crappy run-stopping defense by the Steelers. You know, the, the Chiefs can protect the passer. That chops away a, a huge leg of advantage for the Steelers' defense that way. Uh, so that, that to me is they play basic zone coverages. Something drastic has to change for the Steelers on defense for me to think they're going to stop Mahomes and company. And on the other side of the ball, yeah, they want to run the ball. I, they're not going to run the ball against the Chiefs in this D-line. They're not going to get dink and dunk passes. You know, not against the way the Chiefs play, like press man-to-man so much. You know, can Big Ben and them scare the Chiefs a little bit and take some shots down the field and make a few plays? Can T.J. Watt get a strip sack fumble? Can they get a punt return? That's the type of thing I think the only way they keep it close or maybe pull off an upset. But because of that, yeah, there's no way I'm taking the Steelers in this football game. I'm taking the Chiefs, and I'm taking them to cover the spread, 34-20. to 20. Wow, wow. Okay, okay. Um, look. It's a pasta and a meatballs the time, me. How many times this year? Isn't that funny that the Italians are the only ones whose accent can be mocked anymore? When do? I, yeah, seriously though, you're right though. It is like, I, why is that a green light? I know I you're right. Know. You're not. I don't every, know. I think everywhere else it's racist, but for some reason we just go, that's cool. The Italians are cool. <laughs> it's okay. Are we okay with it? We don't have any problem. Right. We're too busy drinking our jumpers and we stomp it onto the grapes. <laughs> I'm Italian, folks. Yes. Don't get mad. Not and my wife is anyway, Sicilian, 100. percent Just that anybody wants to um, judge me out there. <laughs> okay, so how many times this year have I sat in this chair and talked about the fact that 50 years of living in and around Pittsburgh, following the Steelers, even though I have never been a Steelers fan, I will admit Bullshit. in the 2005 playoff run, <laughs> I got caught up in what was happening because it was so special. It was unexpected. I gravitate toward the underdog. I gravitate toward the downtrodden. I gravitate toward the disregarded. And that's what they were in 2005. And that was the Jerome Bettis final year. Ben Roethlisberger convinced him to come back for one more year. They go win a Super Bowl, and they, they even though they were eleven and five, they barely made it. They made it by the skin of their nails yes. into the playoffs Ooh, that year. Island. And they had to go on the road to Cincinnati. Win. They had to go to Indianapolis. The Colts were the best team in football that year, and they somehow won that game. Then they went to Denver, and they somehow won that game. And then they went to the Super Bowl, and the the, the officials handed them that game. That's a different story altogether. But you got to start somewhere, and. I understand what I'm walking into here. Yeah. And I understand how it's going to look on Sunday night when everyone makes their picks and it's red, 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 red all across the board. And there's going to be one. Bring it out, baby. Woo! Oh Ooh. Ready for the pasta and meatballs. Oh, good. So got you got the pasta and meatballs in front of you? And I got another one. I got Whoa! We are doing it, baby. We are doing it. <laughs> yes, we I, are. I have faith. I have faith. 27-24. An, an early, there's going to be something early. And I'm not even going to text you. I, I don't like to do it. I don't like to talk crap during the games because you never know when it blows up. No, you like but to talk as soon know. as it's over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, as soon as, it's, as, soon as it, the clock strikes triple zero, I talk shit all night long. Right. <laughs> but until then, I, I bide my time. You're going to know. It's going to happen. If, if it's going to go this way, if it's going to go this way, something's going to happen early that makes you say, holy shit. And uh, I'm, I, I am willing to put my, not money, but my pride, my reputation, yeah. wh- whatever, whatever you want to call it. I'm putting it on the line, and I'm, I'm defying the point spread. I'm defying you. 
I'm defying all logic and reason because sometimes you just go out and play football. Yeah. And sometimes the X's and O's and the matchups, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because you I got Mike you. Tomlin. Right. You got Ben Roethlisberger for his last ride. You have that magic that that somehow was in the air on that Monday night when Ben Roethlisberger said his farewell to Heinz Field. That's gotten bottled up inside those players. They're, they're in the playoffs when they shouldn't be. Dangerous, 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 dangerous for the Chiefs. Dangerous for the Chiefs. And it's, it's more dangerous than Patrick Mahomes saying, well, we're not taking them lightly. Of course you're not taking them lightly. It's dangerous for the Chiefs. All right, Monday Night Football. Arizona at the Rams. These two teams split in the regular season, each team winning on the road. The Cardinals very happy to be on the road. They lost five in a row at home to finish the season. Rams four-point favorites over under 49.5. Chris, I know you were struggling with this one earlier. Who you got? Yeah, this is the game that I, I, I'm, I'm definitely the most uncertain about and, and really like to look at where where is the advantages schematically or what are the things that concern me either this way. You know, I just That's where I don't know where to go with this one. I don't. I've gone back and forth both ways here. You know, the one thing I think I come back to is is this. Arizona, both offenses move the ball on the other team's defense in both football games. Arizona, though, in both games kind of did whatever they wanted. Uh, that's what bothers me a little bit. And Kyler Murray was able to run in both games. The first game, I told you, it was screens and short passes in the run game. The second game, it was more down-the-field, explosive pass plays that way. I'm going to Cardinals in this one. They're on the road. I think the loss last week by the Rams, a little bit of a letdown. The Cardinals coming into town. And honestly, I trust Kyler Murray a little bit more than I do Matthew Stafford right now. And I just don't know if the Rams' old line is good enough to pass protect when they really need it against this group here. I'm going to Cardinals 27-24. I, uh, I'm taking it 30-24, and I'm going with the Rams. I, I just I have a little more faith in the Rams right now than I do the Cardinals. Yeah. They were 10-2, and two and they fell apart. And when we were talking about this earlier during PFT Live, Matt, Matt Casey made a good point. The win over the Cowboys was kind of the aberration, uh, the, 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 the false indication that the Cardinals have figured things out. Hey, look, they had a chance to win the division, and they lost at home to the Seahawks. That, that's a problem. So I believe in the Rams, even though Matthew Stafford has his flaws. Without DeAndre Hopkins, that limits the Arizona offense. I'll take the Rams 30-24. Let's take a break. Best bets in Folsom Prison Blues when PFTPM and Chris Sims Unbuttoned continue right after this. Best bets time. We've got to go fast because Pete did a bad job of getting us to shut up. We Damn, only got 30 Pete. seconds. Damn, Chris, Pete. give me your two best bets. 49ers over Cowboys. 49ers over Cowboys. Bam. And then I'm going, screw your pasta and meatballs, all right? Screw it. I'm going with the Chiefs at the best bet. That's right. They're going to win by more than 12 and a half. Screw your terrible towel. Screw your pasta and meatballs. 49ers, Tampa Bay. You're going to go so Tampa Bay. On one. All right, good. Tampa Bay. I was scared because of Tampa the weather, Bay. but I did think about that one. I still think they're going to get it done. Yeah. That's it. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll see how see it goes. Go Steelers. Here we go. <laughs> The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 